Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hello, my name is Ashley. I am a Feminist Book Club content contributor, and I am joined today by Kristen Higgins. She is an author of 20 novels. She enjoys gardening, mixology, the national parks, and complimenting strangers on their children. A mother of two grown children, she lives in Connecticut with her heroic firefighter husband, cuddly dog, and indifferent cat. She joins us to talk about Out of the Clear Blue Sky. Kristen, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Ashley. I'm so happy to be here. So my first question is, what is your definition of feminism? Feminism to me is about opportunity and choices. So to me, and I think to most of the world, uh, women should have the same opportunities as men. Um, the same pay scale, the same uh, attention in their contributions, and um, and no one should ever be excluded from something because of their gender. And choice is such an important part of that because mm-hmm. we're seeing that there's such a lack of it and such a rush to remove choice from people um, across the scale. Right. Whether it's, you know, denying girls in some Muslim nations the the ability to go to school or Roe v. Wade being uh, turned over, this idea that women are meant to be controlled or overseen by men is really repugnant. And um, so last, I don't know, last millennia, right? You know, I mean, I think we've proven that women, um, trans people, gender fluid people, you know, none of that matters. It's your ability and your, your determination, your intellect, your artistic ability that matters in life. And, you know, part of feminism, um, and choice is also choosing what you want to do. You know, if you want to be a stay at home mom, then, then do it, you know, and don't feel that you're, um, supposed to be also a, a Supreme Court justice, perhaps, or yes. um, if you choose not to have children, that's completely okay, too. Or if you want to have 10 children, it's it's all about not operating under the judgment of the male gaze. And what is Out of the Clear Blue Sky about? So I think this is um, the most feminist novel that I've written, really. Mm. It's about a woman who has defined herself as wife and mother for the past 20 years. She's a certified nurse midwife. So she, you know, her whole job is about empowering women uh, as they give birth, as they grow people in their bodies. And, and she finds out that the night before her son and only child graduates from high school, her husband is leaving her for a younger, wealthier, more beautiful woman. And Lily never knew that her marriage was in trouble. She felt like they really had a solid thing going. And then she looks back the past few months and she sees that some hints are there. But for me, Lily has worked so hard to build this life 
Um, she's put her heart and soul into it. It just doesn't seem fair that her husband can whimsically decide it's over, not just their marriage, but their family, their family's future, their family's past has to be reexamined. And it makes her crazy that, um, that Brad, a white male, middle-aged white male, feels that he deserves more, that he's somehow selling his own talent short by staying married to her. He kind of blames her for not having the empire that he thought he would because, you know, she didn't believe in him hard enough or whatnot. And so the, um, the result of his leaving is that Lily goes low instead of going high Mm. against all recommendations of divorce blogs everywhere. She does get revenge. She does think, I'm not going to take this lying down. I'm going to make his life as miserable as I can without really breaking the law. (laughs) And that's what intrigued me to read the novel, because I think on its surface, it could feel very tropey. But what it does is flip the script and actually honor how women should feel, should feel that anger, should feel that pettiness, should feel that uh, recollection of, well, you know, my world has been turned upside down or, you know, turned 180 degrees or however that may go, which leads me to that. My next question, Lily's anger is poignant. What were your feelings about writing this character and what did you owe to her? I I felt that I owed it to be honest, you know, to not just have her be crying in her bed but also be you know in this rage and and have her rage feel really good. It's not a destructive rage, it's not um, you know, self-harming, she's not getting drunk every night or um, ramming into his car, you know, she's, she's furious with good reason. You know, all the past two decades, Brad has, has dismissed as insignificant. And he dismisses her pain, her circumstances, you know, she's going to struggle financially now. He's not, he doesn't care about what she's going on. And there's just this cavalier sense that he has towards the things that are most important to her. So when she unleashes her anger, it's like this purifying rage where she she finds like this power that she didn't know she had, this strength and this this attitude in a world that tells us to be nice and be polite and don't raise your voice. And, you know, especially if you're a black woman, right? You know, um, as you are, right? Don't be an angry black woman and um, and don't be shrill and don't be you know, menopausal, whatever you're, you're told. Um, the, the male narrative has this way of reducing our feelings to cliches, you know, don't get hysterical, you know, and Brad keeps saying, I deserve to be happy. And she says, well, what about me? I mean, you're destroying my happiness, your son's happiness, your son's family. And he just thinks like, oh, you're being so dramatic. So I wanted to present her as, as a woman's who has lost everything, not to Melissa, but because of Brad. Um, She's not nearly as mad at Melissa as she is at Brad, who broke his vows and, um, and, and knew the life that he was tossing away. So once Lily uh, kind of 
get some of that out of her system. She focuses more on her son and how he's doing because she's a mom and most moms do that. And then at a certain point, she discovers some surprising things. And one is that she likes living alone and she didn't expect that since it was forced upon her. Um, she kind of likes that independence and she has a situation at work uh, with an overbearing doctor female doctor who's always kind of undercutting her work as a midwife. And she finds the, um, you know, the courage to really speak out about her, not just, you know, try to deal with her, or handle her. She takes action with her. And, um, and she also finds herself taking another look at some of the people in her life that she didn't think she could connect with, like her sister or even her mom, who's a very um, impressive, but very chilly woman towards her younger daughter. And in the romantic storyline to her dad's first mate, who was the driver in a car accident that almost killed Lily when they were teenagers, and um, left her with some, you know, some pretty significant uh, injuries afterwards. So I think once she gets that rage out of the way, and she expresses it and, and feels empowered and stronger by it. It also gives her this opportunity to reassess some things and situations and people in her life. I loved her. I loved how much she loved her work and was unapologetic about loving being a nurse and getting called out in the middle of the night to go to the hospital. I loved how devoted she was to her friends. You know, she has a very good friend circle and she's a very important part of the community and um, that was something that I really wanted to shed a light on too, is, is, you know, women are the heart of any community, <laughs> you know, yes. I mean, they, they are the ones who get things done and, and move things along and make connections and build a social life and, and uh, raise money for their causes. So she's definitely that woman as well. And you begin your acknowledgments thanking a doctor about her knowledge of midwifery. Why did you choose Lily to be a midwife as her career? It is my 22nd book, I think. And I actually think of the um, uh, uh, midwife in the book. So I, um, I wanted her to be a midwife because it is so female centric, obviously. And I also... I loved giving birth to uh, both my kids. I had very different experiences. My daughter was like a natural, easy childbirth, and my son was an emergency C-section. Mm. And, you know, those are two of the most important moments of my life, you know, when, when I became a mother uh, to my daughter and my son. And both my kids were delivered by women. And it's just such a special moment. And... And it's also a, a very um, advanced degree. You know, it's mm -hmm. not just like, oh, I decided to be a midwife. You're a nurse with a master's degree and special training and certification. Um, it's not like a self-appointed title. So I love babies. Ironically, uh, while I was writing the book, my daughter became a labor and delivery nurse. <laughs> and then uh, I guess uh, while I was still writing it, also became pregnant. <laughs> So, um, oh, yeah. so I'm a grandma now. And so it was, it was really neat to, to be like writing about babies while my daughter was delivering babies and then, you know, growing a baby herself. So, so that was, that was fun. And 
again, like midwifery <clears throat> is a field dominated by women, for women, by women. And I love that. And I also likened it to Lily was helping people prepare to bring life into the world. And she was starting a new chapter in her life. Yeah. She was entering a rebirth, if you will, discovering that she loves to live alone, watching her child blossom, go across the country to attend college and have these fruitful experiences, leaving a relationship that, although she didn't recognize didn't serve her, understood that it mm-hmm. didn't serve her anymore. So it was such a nice connection between her career mm-hmm. and how she was going through in her personal life. And not often does career and personal life link up the link up the way that it did mm-hmm. for Lily. Yeah, that's such a nice way of putting it that she she delivers herself into this new phase of life and, and delivers yes. herself safely the way she does to you know, her patients as best she can, you know, deliver their their babies safely and healthfully. And and she gets there, you know, it's it's not always easy or happy, but it, it is in the end a great experience. And I, I love what you said about not realizing that her marriage didn't serve her the way she thought she did when she was married. I find that that's true with a lot of the people I've talked to about divorce is that, you know, once you, you're, when you're told you're being divorced, it's such a shock. And, and you think, but everything we had was so good. And then when you get a little distance, you think, I did an awful lot of adjusting and accommodating. And everyone does in a marriage, but it should be an equal amount. But with the people I know who've, who've been dumped like that, they often come away saying, you know, I don't, I, I did so much. I had no idea how much I put into making him feel good um, or um you know, how much of my life I deferred choices to him or let him think he was the big man kind of. And I am talking about heterosexual relationships because that is my experience. And and I do think that like my daughter's marriage will be different from my marriage, which was so different from my mother's marriage. You know, I'm the first generation where uh, the wife and husband were expected to be equal breadwinners, you know. Mm. And whereas my mom was a housewife, you know, and my daughter um, out earns her husband as a nurse. And, Mm. but for Lily and Brad, there wasn't that sense of equality. You know, she took care of him much more than he took care of her. And I think that the longer she's divorced, the more she realizes she's, you know, she saw what she wanted to see to make things smooth and pleasant at home. So Melissa is a pop culture, Instagram, colorful grid cliche. How did you write that character and particularly the absurdity of social media? (laughs) I, you know, I'm on social media as an author, Mm. but I, I love it for connecting with my readers and like seeing my cousin's babies and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I think it's, it's like fascinatingly horrible. Yes. And I feel for the children who are growing up with social media, comparing themselves or getting bullied or, you know, constantly maybe seeing what they don't have or wish they had. And instead of maybe taking a, a smaller lens to their lives and focusing on what's what, what they have and what's around them. So Melissa 
at first, she absolutely is a cliche. She has one thing going for her in her own mind, and that is her beauty. But she's also extremely determined and hardworking. She devises a plan at the age of 13 of how she's going to get out of her poor little Appalachian town and and live the life that she wants, which is completely materialistic. She wants to live in a beautiful place and have a lot of money. Those are like life goals. That's it. And she gears her education towards what she thinks will bring her to like a rich athlete husband and instead ends up uh, marrying a rich orthopedic surgeon who dies a few years into their marriage. And she finds herself now the wealthy one and decides like, I want to go somewhere where I'm going to be noticed and I want to get out of New York city and just be like the star. So she rules out Martha's Vineyard because, you know, the Obamas go there and celebrities have houses there. And she chooses this little town on Cape Cod, uh, Wellfleet, which is an utterly charming little town and has a celebrity or two. But it's it's a place where Melissa can really be noticed and get a lot of attention. And her goal is to be an Instagram influencer, which to me is probably the most shallow job uh, wish that you could have is that people will yes. look at my pictures and send me free stuff or pay me to hold a handbag. But she unexpectedly has to adopt her niece, her sister's child, uh, or the, the little girl will go into foster care. And at first, Ophelia is like a prop for her. You know, like, aren't I wonderful? See, I took this poor child out of poverty and brought her to live with me. And as the book goes on, she starts to care about what Ophelia thinks and and starts to like her kind of unexpectedly because she doesn't really look at Ophelia as a person in the beginning. So Melissa's transformation is also something that I'm proud of because, you know, here's this girl without a lot of education, without a lot of family support, without any family support, who learns that her worth is more than her blonde hair and great ass, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and it surprises her that she, she has these other feelings and, and other priorities that crop up along the way. And I also loved how in the beginning of the story, she thinks I need a husband, you know, to make my life complete. I need someone good looking. I want someone older, educated, The pool is not very deep. So she picks Brad and it doesn't matter to her that he's married. But as the book goes on, Brad starts to really grate on her nerves. (laughs) And she starts to think like, why did I want to be married again? So she, um, she definitely starts to learn to think of herself as something other than the object of men's desire. So there will be a number of content warnings Mm -hmm. that will be provided to our audience. But they, again, are poignant to the stories of these characters, particularly Melissa and Mm -hmm. Lily. How did you decide to write these experiences that elevate their character development instead of it just being something a part of the story? Well, backstory as an author is hugely important to me. And I love it as a reader too, because it's what happened to you in the past that's made you who you are today. 
So Lily has a bad experience at a party in high school. And should I give a trigger warning here or? Yes. Um, so the um, trigger warning is that, you know, it's um, she gets drunk and high and finds herself in a boy's bedroom, not really sure what's going on. And she does get out unharmed, but terrified. And um, and then this leads her to walking home late at night and um, feeling very stupid and filled with self-blame. Like she wants to go to the police, but then she says, who will believe me? And I'll never tell my father about this because he'd be so ashamed of me. Like she thinks I brought this on myself because I was too dumb. I had a beer and I smoked a joint for the first time. And, and, you know, this is my fault. And then she's picked up by um, her father's first mate, who's uh driving this crappy little pickup truck. And he says, I'll give you a ride home. Looks like you need one. And they get into an accident, a car accident, and she's pretty badly hurt. So that, that matters to Lily in the sense that she, she becomes a champion for women. And I don't know that she's conscious of that event being so formative, but she definitely learns later that she picked her husband for a reason. And it was because he would never be a threat to her. And, um, and that, that, that event in high school at that party left a really big mark that, that she thinks is overshadowed by the car accident and her injuries, but actually has a lingering effect that she doesn't even realize until she runs into that person again. Yes. It's just, there's also an experience that happens that really puts Lily onto just how empathic she is, how she still holds that anger Mm -hmm. from what she experienced in high school, and just a little bit of the anger that she recently experienced with her husband wanting a divorce. So there's these moments on her timeline of her life that really charge forward when she's speaking to that other person. Mm -hmm. And of course, she'll have to read the book to understand what that is, but I've just, I was reading it and just enthralled by it because she used the language that needed to get to that person instead of just getting around Mm -hmm. it. This is what is, you know, these are the words that need to be said to get it through your head. Right. Yeah. And that I, I love that scene. It just, it's the scene that we all deserve to have if something like that has happened to us where we get to sit down with that person and tell them exactly what happened and cut them no slack and give them no quarter. And in this case, you know, the way it was done and the other people present, it was, you know, it was a a really important moment for Lily and, and for the other characters as well. So this novel is set on Cape Cod and I did love the language like Pisa, <laughs> Wicked. I've, I've, I'm from Los Angeles, but I am vaguely familiar with New mm-hmm. England. What was writing about Cape Cod like for this story? Well, um, I chose the Cape because I, I love the Cape. Um, my family has a house up there ever since I was a little kid um, back when it was affordable and um and so it's the place that is my heart's home you know it it's 
the most physically beautiful place I've ever been. And I've been to a lot of places and it's, it's calm, it's gentle, it can be savage, you know, in a storm. And it it's this wonderful mix of working class people who, who serve the wealthy people up there because, you know, there's such a huge population of out of town homeowners, you know, uh, that were, they're on their second residence up on the Cape. So there's the blue collar people who fish and clean and, you know, are police and nurses and um, carpenters and lawn keepers and all that landscapers. And then there's this uh, wealthier aspect of it. So there's some issues of class sprinkled throughout mm-hmm. the book and what the idea of class is, you know, um, what it means to be classy and also just how the economy works up there. For this book, I wanted a small town. I, I am from a small town. I live in a small town now. And I, I think there's such an intimacy about that. I love writing communities. So when you have a small town you, and you can say like, I babysat for that cop, you know, and, and this guy and we went to school together. So like there's all this, all these threads that, that entangle way back when. And I, I really enjoy that as an aspect of a novel. You know, I, I don't want and and coconut cake <laughs> is mentioned. It's almost like a delicacy in this book. What what drew you to specifically coconut um, cake? Just my taste buds, I guess. <laughs> uh, there enough right? said. It's um, there is a restaurant called Peppy's in Provincetown. Most of the restaurants and places I mention are real places, and uh, this restaurant is on the water on Commercial Street in Provincetown, which is a very vibrant, colorful town. And they just have the most amazing coconut cake. And so I, uh, I did use that both as a celebration and a weapon. And, um, <laughs> and I, um, we're trying to get Peppies to supply uh, coconut cake for one of my signings on, on Cape Cod. Amazing. So that'll be extra special for me. Yeah. And, you know, cooking is very much a part of Lily's life, cooking and baking. She's Portuguese. So. I'm not. So I had to do some research there into Portuguese cuisine. But it's another way that she demonstrates her love for her family is by cooking for them and cooking traditional meals from her heritage, which I thought was a really nice addition. And uh, my publicist kept saying, like, maybe you could cook one of Lily's dishes. And I'm like, no, no. let's not push it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm not that good at cook. So as we come to a close with this conversation, what bookstore would you like our readers to buy out of the clear blue sky from? And what organization would you like to amplify? Well, um, you can buy it from anywhere, but if you'd like a signed copy, there's a bookstore in Connecticut called RJ Julia, and I will personalize it for you there. I'm a big supporter of indie bookstores. So if you have an independent bookstore in your town or neighborhood, definitely support them. I donate all the proceeds from pre-orders and first week sales to St. Jude Children's Hospital. Um, as I said, I love children and I hope no one I know ever has to end up there. But it's um, it's a place where families are never turned away because they can't pay. And so I'm a proud supporter of it. And it just makes me feel less less self-conscious when I say like, hey, my book's out, you should buy it. (laughs) It just makes it easier to say, 
and I'm not even the one profiting from it. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Give to St. Jude's this way. So. Yes. And I think it adds an extra incentive to not only get a great book, but to also move that money forward to an organization that is close to a lot of yeah, people's hearts. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Kristen Higgins, thank you for joining us today to talk about Out of the Clear Blue Sky. Oh, it was such a pleasure, Ashley. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, red woman is a dangerous creature, creature. Let's talk about setting the mood. That's right, the mood. You know, when you want to get intimate or perhaps after you've gotten intimate, be it by yourself or with a partner, there's something you need to have on your nightstand, MOD. MOD is redefining what sexual wellness and modern intimacy look like. They're creating this whole new chapter in the outdated sexual wellness industry. MOD makes modern, body-safe, and high-quality essentials for before, during, and after sex. They have a whole variety of products like vibrators, lubricants, and condoms. Their products are absolutely beautiful, seriously, with a lot of attention to detail, design, sustainability, and simplicity. So basically, if your sexual wellness had a name, it'd be MOD. Honestly, these products, you want them to be seen in your bedroom. You don't want to hide them. One of the coolest things about Mod is that it's female-led and Latinx-founded. So their founder, Ava, created Mod for all bodies, all genders, and all races. And guess what? You are all getting a treat from Mod. As our partner, Mod is giving you $5 off your first orders on all products with the code BOOKCLUB. Head over to getmod.com, that's get, M-A-U-D-E, mod.com, and use promo code BOOKCLUB for $5 off your first order. Enjoy setting the mood.